We've been in the midst of a quick two-week series with our theme verse being Luke chapter 2, verse 10, which was the announcement of the angels to the shepherds when they said, we bring you good news of a great joy that's for all people. We've been talking about joy. We understand that hearing about joy is indeed good news. We understand that our joy is supposed to be great. In fact, Jesus said, I've spoken these things to you that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. And we know that it's for all people. That means for every single one of us, all the time. Joy is supposed to be something that happens 365-7. Is that right? No. 365-24. There we go. All right. Every single day of the year, all the time. You know, but you wonder what the shepherds thought as they walked away from the stable that night and they went back out to their sheep. And as the next day and the next day and the next day unfolded, and life was pretty much just the same. It was still the routine of fighting off the predators that wanted to take their sheep. It was still the struggle of dealing with the elements, the sun by day and the cold by night and all those kinds of things. And and some of you, you hear that message. You understand it's in the Scriptures. You're supposed to believe it. It's true. But, but you understand that your reality is just a little bit different than great joy all the time. You know, and, and this part of you, probably in the back of your mind, you know, that's great for the pastor's study. You know, you get to have an office in a church building, you know, and it's a whole lot easier maybe to think about and live out joy when your whole life is built around God, if you will. But I got to go out and work in the ditches, whether that's literally or figuratively. And we begin to look at our lives and we start to say, well, how in the world does God really expect me to live with joy all the time? Because life can be really pretty hard at times. That's an understatement, right? There are times when life can be flat out brutal. Whether it has to do with crises that we experience or physical health issues or, or whatever, life can be really pretty hard at times. How is it that God expects us to live with joy all the time? Now, this is a message worth listening to. Because there really isn't any better way to live life than to live your life with joy. And what I want to talk to you today about is how is it that you and I cultivate joy? You know, the, the, the imagery that comes, you know, sometimes when you see something and it sticks in your mind and you don't know why it's significant, and then later you just kind of, you keep coming back to it over and over again. And, and I've told you before, there was a time when I was in high school, I was working for my father's electrical contracting company, but I didn't work for my father, I worked for another guy. His job was to kind of run the stock room and all the equipment and tools that they had, and I would drive him out and do all these kinds of things. And he had hanging over his desk, if you could call it a desk, it was more like a big big table, if you will, this cartoon. And it was a picture of a guy in a pond, and the water was up to his armpits, and he was surrounded by alligators that were all, apparently were moving towards him. And the caption underneath the cartoon said, <laughs> said, when you're up to your armpits and alligators, it's hard to remember that your job is to drain the pond, you know? And, and all of us, when we're up to our armpits in life, sometimes it's hard for us to remember that God's plan for us is to live with joy. And how in the world do we do that? And first of all, the first thing I want to do is I want to point you back to last week's message and remind you that there's a big difference between joy and happiness. Happiness is from the world. Joy is from God. Happiness is an emotion Joy is a quality that comes to us as a gift of God. You know, happiness is circumstantial. Joy is built on Christ. And the list just kind of keeps going. There's a big difference between those. Joy is 
the, the, the quality of life that emerges because we're already living with eternity in our hearts. But let's try to ask this question. How is it that you and I, on a daily basis, can cultivate a sense of joy? We know it's a hard thing to do. We, we know it's a gift that God's given us. It's a fruit of the Spirit that's always in season. How can you and I cultivate a lifestyle that allows us to experience joy? And this is where I want to turn us to First Peter. If you have your Bibles, I'd love for you to turn to First Peter chapter 1 with me. Our text today is page on page 1,028, 1,028 in your pew Bibles. First Peter, if you don't know where First Peter is, it's over towards the way back of your New Testament. So if you just got to the book of Revelation and start turning back a few pages, you'll find yourself in First Peter. Just a little bit of background so we understand that context really fits our discussion today. Peter was writing to a group of Christians, Jewish Christians primarily, who were living in what is today modern northeast Turkey. We don't have any record in the scriptures of a missionary expedition going to that area. The Apostle Paul had tried to go to that area at one point, but God shut that door down to him. So we don't have any record in the scriptures of any apostle or or deacon or whoever going there and sharing the good news. We do know that there were people from that region who were in Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost, had heard Peter speak the gospel. So the assumption that we draw is that because is that Peter some of them had come to know Christ. They had gone back to their communities eventually. And when they had did so, they started churches. Communities of faith began to grow up in this region. And they looked to Peter as their spiritual leader. The assumption is if another apostle or another church leader had traveled to that area and really kind of taken responsibility to it, that Peter wouldn't be looking to build on another man's work, as the Scripture talks about. He would allow that leader to continue with it. But here, he feels a sense of responsibility to them. So the idea we have is that these people who heard the gospel, maybe stayed in Jerusalem for even months learning more about the faith, go back to their own towns and churches spring up. Life's about ready to change for them. Up to this point in time in this area, they had kind of been seen as a piece of Judaism. That means they enjoyed all the exceptions of Judaism. That means they didn't, they were free to gather for a worship experience. Because that was okay because they were part of the Jewish religion. They didn't have to offer an act of worship to the emperor on an annual basis, you know, by because as a sign of loyalty to the or to the to the empire, because they were exempted from that. In this area of the country, they're starting to see you guys really aren't Jewish. You guys are a brand new group, and with that, you're no longer exempt. You got to show up, and you got to offer something to the emperor to show your loyalty. And you know what? You can't meet together because you know anything over four people, you got to have a permit. And we're not giving you a permit. It was that kind of idea. And their life was beginning to move from being difficult to being awful. Because they were beginning to be persecuted as a result of their faith. And Peter writes to them. And he's trying to shore them up, if you will, underneath this heavy pressure that's coming down on them. And a part of his mission is he doesn't want them to cease living with joy while they're underneath these heavy difficulties. And what a great group of people to go to and say, how in the world do we live with joy when life seems to be trying to crush us, right? And so I want to read verses 3 through 25 of chapter 1. Lengthy section. I'm going to tell you right now, we're going to have a very narrow focus at looking at this passage of Scripture. there's, There's a lot of good stuff in here, you know, as I like to say. And we're not going to get to look at all of it. I'm not going to do any injustices to the text, but we're going to kind of pick some pieces to understand some of the things that we can be doing to cultivate joy in our lives. But we're going to be kind of going to the text like if, if you were walking into a you know an automobile sales place and, you're, and the, the salesman walks up and he says, what are you looking for? Well, I'm looking for a car that gets more than 35 miles a gallon. And they say, well, you want two-wheel drive, two-wheel drive or four-wheel drive? I don't care. 
Four doors, two doors. I don't care. Front wheel drive, or, you know, whatever. I don't care. Red, blue, black, white. I don't care. Leather, cloth. I don't care. I only want to. We're only going to be looking at one thing as we look at this text today. Okay? We're going to shut everything else out. I mean, let me just read it for you while you follow along. There's a lot of, a lot of meaty stuff in here. So I think you'll be served if you follow along reading while I read it to you aloud. I think we'll get more from it. This is how Peter launches into his letters to them. He says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He's given us a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that is imperishable, uncorrupted, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. You who are protected by God's power through faith for a salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. You, you rejoice in this, though now for a short time, You've had to be distressed by various trials, so that the genuineness of your faith, more valuable than gold, which perishes, though refined by fire, may, may result in praise, glory, and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. You love Him, though you've not seen Him. And though not seeing Him now, you believe in Him, and you rejoice with inexpressible and glorious joy, because you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls." Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that would come to you searched and, and they carefully investigated. They inquired into what time or what circumstances the Spirit of Christ within them was indicating when He testified in advance to the messianic sufferings and the glory that would follow. And it was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you. Concerning things that have now been announced to you through those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. And angels... Angels desire to look into these things. Therefore, gird up your minds for action. Be self-disciplined. Set your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you with the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do be, do not be conformed to the desires of your former ignorance, but as the one who called you is holy, you also are to be holy in all your conduct. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. And if you was dressed as father, the one who judges impartially based on each man's work, you are to conduct yourselves in reverence throughout this time of temporary residence. For you know that you were redeemed from your empty way of life, inherited from the fathers, not with perishable things like silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without defect or blemish. He was destined before the foundation of the world, but was revealed at the end of the times for you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. By obedience to the truth, and that's really a reference to a faith experience, by embracing the gospel, if you will, by your obedience to the truth, you have purified yourselves for a sincere love of the brethren. Love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring Word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like a flower of the glass. The grass withers and the flower drops off, but the Word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the Word that was preached as a gospel to you. Now, I have spent at times as many as 8 to 10, 12 weeks just teaching through this one passage of Scripture because there's a lot of really good stuff in it for us to know. But again, we're going to have that laser vision and just simply ask the question, what does this text tell us about how we can cultivate joy in our lives in the midst of the real world where, where it's conspiring against us to rob us of all of our joy? And, and I, I just want to give you five things to think about, about how to cultivate joy in your life. And the first thing I want to encourage you to do is to always remember what God has already done for you. 
Look, look how he starts. He said, he talks, he says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, so we've already been recipients of mercy, he's given us a new birth into a living hope. Referring to our salvation experience. The fact that we've moved out of death into life with him. And now we have an inheritance that is imperishable, uncorrupted, and unfading, reserved in a place where it can never be touched. That's heaven. That's what God's done for you. And, and he starts out by, in this text, that's going to try to lead them through the journey of dealing with just excruciating pressure on their lives. He says, never forget, never forget what God's already done for you. You know, often when you and I are at a place in our lives when our joy is diminished, it's because we're so focused in on what God's maybe not doing for us right now. And we totally forget what God's already done for us. And, and, and the thing that I would re- encourage you today to do to cultivate a sense of joy in your life is never, ever, ever forget what God has already done for you in Jesus Christ. While you were His enemy and you were rebelling against Him and your heart was determined on it, God sent His Son into the world to die for you. And He stepped into your life and has changed your eternal destiny and you didn't have to do a single thing to do it. And when you and I constantly remind ourselves of what God has already communicated to us, what God has already done for us, what we know is... It, 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 it cultivates this experience of joy. Why does it do that? Because when you and I remember the faithfulness of God to ourselves, how God has been faithful to us, it cultivates a sense of trust in Him. And i got to tell you, trust is that the spiritual trust is at the foundation of living a life of joy. If you don't trust God, you can kiss joy goodbye. You know what I mean? If you, with the things that you're going to experience in life, the things I'm going to experience in life, things we see in the world, if we don't trust God, we can kiss joy goodbye. And a way to cultivate our sense of trust in God is to go back, look at this imperishable word, and remind ourselves what God has already done for us. Because the message that we'll always get from that is, we can trust God. We can trust God. We really can trust God. One of the whole points of Christmas is that God's a promise keeper. Hundreds of years earlier, He had promised that the Messiah would come. God keeps His promises. God is trustworthy. Always remember what God has done for you. The second thing to cultivate joy is, is, is take the long view. Look, look at the big picture, okay? We, we, we get so zeroed in on what the last six months have been like or the last 18 months or even six years. Back up and, and take a look at the big picture. That, that's exactly what he encourages them to do in verses 6 and 7. You know, he, he's talking there about the fact that we've received this great gift from God. We have this inheritance. God's protecting us so that nothing can take it from us. That it's, he's given it to us and it's ours forever. And he says, you rejoice in this. Though now for a short time, you've had to be distressed by various trials. Major understatement. They are getting crushed by their community. Informally and formally. Just from societal pressures and by the government. They're getting crushed. He says, you know, though for a short time you've had to be distressed by various trials, so that you know the genuineness of your faith, the way that those experiences shape up our faith, may result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. He says, all this stuff that's happening to you is a part of preparing you for all eternity. Now, your path may be different than my path in the way that God prepares me for heaven, the way He prepares you for heaven, but all of this is about preparing you so that your faith will be something that gives glory to God for all of eternity. And you know what? When we back up and take the long view, we can have a lot more joy than when we get narrowed in on just the immediate circumstances we're in. Let me give you a couple examples. And I asked for permission to use these. But my wife's had to make decisions about two different types of surgery. One of those was potential surgery on her back. 
Some of you know she has a ruptured disc and a couple of bulging discs. And at one point in time in her journey, a couple of years ago, it was just really, really bothering her. And we went and we met with a, a surgeon. And he said, really, it's just a quality of life issue. He says the, the surgery itself and the recovery is a big ordeal. And most likely, you're going to have relief, at least for a time, maybe forever. So you have a choice between living with life the way it is, potentially getting a little bit better, or having a surgery. In that particular case, the decision was, we'll take life the way it is. The other issue is she has arthritis in one of her thumbs. Thumbs moved just a little bit out of the socket. The body's developed a bone spur to try to push it back in. That didn't happen. So now the thumb rides on the bone spur. Procedure is to go in and chop off a part of the bone, push it back into place, take some tendons from your from your hand and secure it into place, and then keep your hand above your heart for three full weeks. She's going to look like the queen, you know, just waving to everybody, you know. And... um. And eight weeks, you know, eight eight weeks is a big deal, you know. At this point, we have chosen to go forward with that surgery. Now, why would you do that? Why would you choose to go through all the pain of having your hand cut open, bone chipped off, tendons moved, living with, you know, why would I have to put up with taking care of her for three weeks while she's got to keep her hand above her heart, you know, and all this. Why would you do that kind of stuff? Because the outcome, right, is going to be so much better than what you currently have. And it's only just for a short season you go through it. And then after hopefully 12 weeks, she'll be back to normal and be able to take care of me the way she's supposed to, you know? <laughs> uh, I'm telling you, she's pushing for sainthood living with me, I'm telling you. I mean, but the, you see the principle? It's, it's the outcome that makes the journey worth it. When you and I keep the long view in place, it, 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 it can... It can permeate, just infuse us with joy, even though in the moment life can be really, really hard because we know at the end of the day, it's going to be so much better. Keep the long view. Third thing, concentrate on who you're becoming. Concentrate on who you're becoming. Look at, look at, um, I got several places to look here, but look at, look at with me at verse 15. He said, let's back up a little bit. Verse 14 says, obedient children, don't be conformed to the desires of your former ignorance. Don't live like you used to, but since God is the one who's called you, and you're headed towards Him, and He's holy, you go ahead and be holy, just like He is holy. You know, and and it really kind of flows back to some things in, in verse nine, where He talks about the fact that because you're receiving, that's a present tense. You and I are already receiving the goal of our faith, which is the deliverance, the salvation of our souls. You know, and we can get we can get so caught up with what's going all around us then we can forget what our life mission is. And, and the thing that I would say to you today, focus is on where you're headed. Focus on who you're becoming. Not where you've been, and maybe not where you are, but focus on where God is taking you. Because when you and I know what our lives are supposed to be about, it gives us a sense of durability in our joy that we get no place else. The marvelous thing about grace, this great mercy that Peter... Peter talks about at the beginning of our, is that we, that our lives get to be governed by our futures, not by our past or by our present. So God said, you know, focus on where you're headed. Focus on who you are becoming in me. Let that be what preoccupies us. Let that be what is the driving force of our lives. You know, it's interesting. Uh, again, there's, there's some things you read. And I remember reading many, many, many years ago that they did a, a study on the impact of, of hope. You know, on, on, and, and what they did was they, in, in a laboratory experience, they took mice and they put one my, mouse in a 
in a context, in water, where they had no hope of escape. They, they clearly, after a few minutes of swimming or whatever, they could just see they had, they, there's just no way they were going to get out. And then the other one, they, they, they put a ledge, which would be a place of escape, but it was just, just barely out of the reach of the, the mouse. But there was just that hope you might be able to reach it. Because you had something that you were striving for. And it was, they were amazed that the mouse that had the hope lived and struggled way longer than the one that had no hope. You know, when you and I remember what it is that God's up to in our lives, that God's trying to shape us to be holy, we, we can keep wrestling forward with that spirit of joy way better than we can when we just feel like we're, we're giving in and the tide has just taken us and there is no purpose and there's no way we're going to overcome. Concentrate on who you are becoming. Fourth thing. And I want to point you here to verse 22. Be it by obedience to the truth, and that's really talking about their positive response to the gospel. You've purified yourselves for a sincere love of the brothers. Love one another earnestly from the heart. If you want to cultivate joy in your life, just love other people well. Just love other people well. Well, why does that work? Why does that work? <laughs> you know, it's really not all that complicated. If you love the people who are around you well, they're more likely to be joyful, are they not? And your own sense of joy is going to be elevated if the people around you are joyful. So isn't it interesting that God says, love one another sincerely from the heart? Because when you and I love each other well, we have a climate for joy. We have the contents. We have all the ingredients for joy. So he says, love one another well. One last statement. you got to work at it. you got to work at it. One of my favorite phrases in the Scriptures is found in 1 Peter 1.13 says, get your minds ready for action. The imagery, actually, the language there out of, out of, the, uh, out of the Greek is actually is the idea of gird up your minds for action. And what it's referenced to is the way that, that an individual would prepare themselves for work in those days. Like we might say, okay, I get home from work and I'll go put on my work clothes and I'll go out in the yard and do all these different kinds of things and that kind of idea. And so we get ourselves ready for work. You know, when we were in Israel, our tour guide used to say to us, just, just embrace the sweat, you know, because when you're out in 95 to 100 to 105 degree heat and it's sunny, you're just going to sweat. He said, just embrace the sweat. The time when you just embrace, what they would do is they would literally reach down, they were, they would wear like tunics. And they would reach down and they would pull the back up through their legs and tuck it into their belts. So it kind of made like a pair of shorts. And they were far more agile and ready for work at that point. And God says, that's what I need you to do with your mind. Get your minds ready to work. You guys, we have to work at this. It's a gift of God. But like Peter says, we need to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. It takes work to work at this. And here's a couple of things I'd really have you think about that you need to work at. One of those is you need to focus on healing more than hurting in order to experience joy. Some of us have learned how to live with hurt in our lives. Some of us, we don't know how to live without hurt. And we need to focus on healing in our lives. You know, you, Colossians 3 talks about it, accepting one another and granting forgiveness to one another. You and I, we need, to, we need to learn how to live without hurt in our lives. We need to focus on healing. And for some of us, that's going to take a monumental task that we really have to work at. Because we've gotten to such a place where we just, we, we don't know how to live without pain. We don't know how to live without, with hurt, without hurt. And, 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 and therefore we can't conceive of how we can live with joy and have joy in our lives. And we need to focus on healing. The second thing. So we've got to focus on healing rather than hurting. We've got to focus on God's power more than our problems. You know, we, we can look at our problems 
and they can totally overwhelm us. It's just like, we, we got no hope. You know, this is, this is like a, a tsunami wave that's coming at us, and we're in a dinghy, you know, and there's just no way we're going to survive this. You know, and we can look at life that way. Like, that there are experiences in our, experiences in our lives that we're never going to be able to overcome. You know, and it's interesting that in 1 John 4, where the Apostle John is warning the Christians, he says, you know, that, that the Antichrist, those who are already in the world working against you, working against the church, working against the faith, working against Christ, they're already there. He says, but I want you to remember one thing. Greater is he who's in you than he who's in the world. And when you and I focus on God's power more than our problems, we become overcomers. We become victors. And the joy comes. The joy comes. You know, God wants us to live with joy. You know, Jesus looked at his disciples the last night of his pre-crucified life. And he looked at them and says, I told you this stuff now so that my joy can be in you and your joy can be complete. God wants us to live with complete joy. Is God's joy complete in you? You know, we don't sing a lot of old hymns around here, but one of the ones that always echoes through my mind, the hymn we used to sing when I was a kid called Trust and Obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. Trust, having faith in God, taking the big picture and obeying, committing ourselves to staying on the pathway that's full of and it leads to joy. Trust and obey, for there is no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. Let's pray together. Father, we embrace the good news today of a great joy. That's for every single one of us, no matter what's happened in our lives, no matter what's happening in our lives, but because of what you're doing in our lives and what you will do. Father, we, we choose joy. We choose joy. And we thank you for the gift of joy as we pray in the source, in the name of the source of our joy, Jesus Christ. Amen.